Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Well, good morning to you, Sherry Kennedy Brownrick, in for Teresa Tamio, who is on the La Dolce Fide, the Sweet Life of Faith pilgrimage right now, along with her husband, Deacon Dom. And so pray for them, pray for all those who are on pilgrimage. There is just so much to pray for. Yeah, it's wonderful. Got to go on pilgrimage one of these days, and I hope you do too. It's totally worth it. Well, coming up in the show today, Father Mitch Pacwa joins us, and we're going to talk about maybe a way to think about what's happening in the Middle East as Catholics, helping us to form our thoughts about that, which I'm really looking forward to. And Dr. Carrie Gress will join us, and she will help us understand how the occult and the feminist movement are really joined at the hip. Right now, just kind of a look at some things that are happening around the country. And I know you know about the first thing we're talking about, which is issue one in Ohio. And unfortunately, Ohio voters approved a ballot referendum that adds a new right to reproductive freedom. And that does, of course, include abortion and contraception. And that's now aided to added to the state constitution as of Election Day. Last Tuesday, nearly 56% of the voters chose this. 44%, of course, chose no. But the amendment takes effect in 30 days, and it adds a new section to the Ohio Bill of Rights in the Constitution, which guarantees that, quote, every individual has a right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decision, end quote. And, of course, that's including but not limited to abortion. And the amendment's language allows the state to impose some restrictions after fetal viability, but it doesn't establish a clear cutoff for when viability occurs, and so, which leaves it very, very vague. A, a preborn child normally reaches viability, which is the ability to survive outside the womb, of course, at about 24 weeks of pregnancy. However, this amendment allows viability to be determined by the mother's treating physician, which can often be the abortionist. Can you imagine that? Someone who is actually making money off someone who has come to get an abortion, do you think they're going to say, well, no, no, you shouldn't get uh, a pregnancy. I mean, you shouldn't get an abortion here. They're going to go ahead, no matter what the case is. They're dedicated to that, and it's... Ugh, diabolical. And the state can also adopt laws that prohibit abortion after viability, except for cases when the mother's life or health is at risk, according to the amendment. But then again, the word health is not defined in the amendment. So we don't know whether that applies to physical health or whether it includes mental health, financial, social well-being. And similar to viability, the word health is determined by the mother's treating physician, Again, which is often the abortionist. Archbishop Schnur of Cincinnati said this, This amendment could harm women by eliminating safety regulations on abortion clinics in Ohio, harm families by removing the rights of parents to consent to abortion or other reproductive decisions of their minor children, and enable the abortion of pre-born children in the womb up to nine months. 
in a sense, it opens it up to partial birth abortion, which we all know is a horrific, horrific procedure. And millions of dollars poured into this campaign in Ohio from out of state. Most of those out of state dollars were on the side of abortion rights and came from people that you know, people like Steven Spielberg. He gave millions to the pro-abort effort in Ohio. And those on the side of abortion raised $28 million versus $9.9 million for the pro-life side. That's a lot of money to fund campaigns full of misinformation and, quite frankly, downright lies. I don't know if you got the chance to listen to a lot of media who were talking about this issue because it's a real bellwether issue for the country. They talked about this issue a lot on Monday and early Tuesday, Election Day. The phrase used every time was protect abortion rights. And come on, we all want to protect people's rights, right? Sure. Well, it's flowery language. And you know that there are people in the media who are actively framing the news every single day with every single story. And you don't have to look any further than the abortion issue to see that on full display. I remember when I was in college um, in journalism, and that was a class that we took is how to be unbiased. That is completely out the window now. I don't even know if they teach that class anymore. It's, it's not something that is happening in newsrooms across the U.S. And there's a lot of fear about what's next. I mean, you look at Michigan, so they actually have a similar law, and they um, voted to repeal penalties for partial birth abortions last week. Last week, rather, the legislature there in Michigan, they eliminated health and safety protections at abortion facilities, and they called parental consent laws unconstitutional. Those are the three things that those in Ohio who are on the pro-life side said will happen in Ohio because you only have to look at Michigan to see what the effect will be. And then the other thing, of course, is that in Kansas, they have something similar, and the pro-life entities there, they predicted that abortions would skyrocket, and boy, were they right. Right after this took effect, they measured, of course, how many abortions were happening, and it was the largest increase on record since the department began keeping count. The largest increase on record, and that's what Ohio has coming down the pike, which is very, very scary. You know, in another news, in Virginia, Democrats kept control of the state Senate and flipped the House of Delegates on Tuesday. And it was really hoped that Republicans would win out so that they could advance Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin's efforts to pass legislation that would ban abortion at 15 weeks of pregnancy. He's been working on this for a very long time. And this is what Virginia Senate Democrat Caucus Chair Mamie Locke said. It's official. There will be absolutely no abortion ban legislation sent to Glenn Youngkin's desk for the duration of this term in office period, as we have thwarted MAGA Republicans' attempt to take control of our government and our bodies. She said that with glee. It's disheartening, isn't it, to see so many people celebrating death to children, the very children they claim to want to protect minutes after they are born. But this is not the time to lose hope. There is bad news, yes, but it only means that we have to work a little harder. And those efforts have already begun. And we know that we're with the Lord and the church on this. And when you have the Lord on your side, great things happen. So I really encourage you, do not lose hope, because we will win in the end.
will change many hearts, will save the lives of not only children, but also their mothers. Because we all know what happens when you have an abortion. It's a lifelong suffering, despite the efforts of those to tell you that there is no suffering. It's the answer to a problem. It trades in one problem for another, my friends. Hmm. Well, it's eight past the hour, and it is time for news. Five Republican presidential candidates faced off Wednesday night in Miami in a debate hosted by NBC News. They clashed over how to handle the southern border, funding for Ukraine, support for Israel, and abortion. Former President Donald Trump again skipped the debate, instead putting on a rally in South Florida. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott says America needs to invest in itself to stave off inflation. That was during the third GOP presidential debate, and Scott said more oil leases will drive gas prices down and help American families. First thing I would do as President of the United States is I would sign the XL Keystone Pipeline and start seeing resources flow. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said he would reverse Bidenomics and focus on stable prices. Entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy said more drilling and fracking would be a good start to bringing energy prices down. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie said energy is the key to bringing down prices in every market, including groceries. And former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley said she would suspend the gas and diesel tax. A report says the U.S. and Israel are discussing a three-day pause in the war against Hamas. More from Mark Mayfield. NBC News says that Qatar is also involved in the discussions that would allow for more humanitarian aid into Gaza and perhaps the release of some hostages held by Hamas. Qatar is reportedly acting as an intermediary. Israel has always held firm that Hamas must free all of the roughly 240 hostages before it will agree to any ceasefire. Off the heels of securing a contract after a strike against the big three automakers, the United Auto Workers is pushing hard to organize non-union auto plants. UAW President Sean Fain says the union plans to pull out all the stops and use everything at their disposal to get workers on board. The union has tried several times to unionize non-union plants, most of them run by European or Asian automakers in the American South, where right-to-work laws make paying union dues optional. Fain will be with President Biden today in Illinois to mark the decision by Stellantis to build a new battery plant and a big investment in a truck factory under the new labor agreement. A man accused of opening fire inside a New York City subway station says he was trying to stop a robbery. Paul DeCastro has details. Cops say 43-year-old John Rote was arrested after allegedly trying to stop a mugging by firing shots inside the 49th Street 7th Avenue station Tuesday night. Police say a 49-year-old man attempted to mug a woman and that's when Rote pulled out a gun and fired into the air. Road faces several charges, including reckless endangerment. The would-be mugger, who has a history with the NYPD, was arrested and charged with attempted robbery. No one was injured. A Catholic priest is being demoted after letting pop singer Sabrina Carpenter use a church for her music video. Part of the video, which is for her single, Feather, took place at the Church of the Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Brooklyn, New York.
In the video, Carpenter dances down the aisles dressed in a revealing black outfit. In a statement, the Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn says it has removed Monsignor Jamie Gignatiello from his position as vicar for development for the diocese. A representative said the parish didn't follow diocesan policy regarding filming on church property, which includes reviewing the scene and script. New Jersey Congressman Josh Gothheimer is pushing bipartisan legislation to combat disinformation on social media, especially Chinese-owned TikTok. Trey Thomas has more. The Stop Hate Act would require social media companies to release reports regarding violations on their platforms and how they address them. China is pro-Hamas, so it only makes sense for them to push anti-Israel, anti-American content on TikTok. They have control over the algorithms so they can push pro-Hamas content. The Anti-Defamation League says there's been a tsunami of anti-Semitism and disinformation since Hamas first attacked Israel last month. Chicago officials are planning to open a homeless shelter in a hotel in the Streeterville neighborhood. This employee was among a group of staffers at the Selena Chicago Hotel who protested the move after finding out they were going to be laid off. Well, I got a letter from the hotel saying that my co-workers and I are out of work as of this Friday. I couldn't believe it. I feel very betrayed. Officials say the shelter will be operated with state funding for emergency and transitional housing. The decision to open a new shelter comes as the city is still seeking housing for thousands of migrants ahead of the winter months. And finally, the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree is being cut down this morning. It's an 80-foot-tall, 12-ton Norway spruce being donated by the McGinley family, and the tree will be brought to Rockefeller Center on a huge flatbed truck and hoisted this Saturday. And as part of an annual tradition, the tree lighting, which draws huge crowds, will take place November 29th. And if you have never had the opportunity to see that tree lighting or see the tree in Rockefeller Center, it's lovely. I have not attempted the skating, however. <laughs> well, it's 14 minutes past the hour, and we're coming up next with Father Mitch Pacwa. I'm looking forward to this. I'm going to be talking about the Middle East and how we as Catholics can think about this conflict and how we can pray about it as well. That's next right here on Catholic Connection. Stay with us. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Finding good health care, encouragement for healthier living, or solid spiritual direction can be frustrating. That's why the Catholic Healthcare Alternative, CMF Curo, is offering a health-sharing option. Curo's Christ-centered wellness services include Catholic wellness coaching, spiritual direction, and a Catholic community supporting your health and wellness needs. Visit cmfcuro.com to learn more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. And now, the EWTN Family Prayer with Father Joseph. Family, a prayer that we pray together is a powerful prayer. So please pray together with me, our EWTN Family Prayer. 
Today we pray for those who are suffering with Parkinson's disease. Lord Jesus Christ, consolation of the afflicted, you are our refuge. We pray for those who are suffering the effects of Parkinson's disease. As they lose their physical strength and abilities, increase their spiritual strength and abilities. Renew their inner spirit day after day, and through their share in your sufferings, give the grace of conversion to sinners. And their weakness, reveal your strength. Give peace and joy to those who care for them. Amen. Welcome back to Catholic Connection. 60 minutes past the hour, Sherry Kennedy Brownrigg in for Teresa Tamio, who is on the La Dolce Fide, the Sweet Light, Life of Faith pilgrimage. And pray for her, pray for all those who are on that pilgrimage as well. And on Thursdays, we talk with Father Mitch Pacwa, of course, best known for his appearances on EWTN. Father Mitch, I think we all know you, and it's so happy to, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah. Well, you know, you have been in the Middle East many, many times, and I've been there twice, never on a pilgrimage, which I will take at some point, but I've been there for work and had the opportunity to work with a lot of Palestinian Christians and, you know, see this whole conflict um, from their top, from their, I guess, viewpoint. But you really have beautiful thoughts about this whole Israeli war with Hamas and how we should think about it from a Catholic perspective. Their emotions are running high on all sides. And let's talk about that. So I'm just going to give the mic to you and tell us, you know, what we should be thinking about. Yeah, let me say at the very outset, there are a couple things that we have to be careful of um, in approaching this. We see this rise of anti-Semitism that is way beyond the uh, Palestinian-Americans and Palestinian immigrants who uh, are protesting. They're obviously going to be uh, favoring themselves, but there are also many others who have uh, neither Jewish nor Palestinian roots, but are now all of a sudden uh, in support of Hamas. And, uh, And they're taking up this uh, chant, uh, Palestine will be free from the river to the sea, which means uh, necessarily the uh, elimination of the state of Israel. And as we saw on October 7th, it also means uh, uh, for some people like Hamas, the massacre of the Jewish people. Um, now, the, the, the problem that we have for a number of groups is that people come into the situation with preconceived notions. On one hand, we have many folks on the left, uh, the political and cultural left, especially those who hold a Marxist point of view. They see that there has to be a thesis, you know, uh, some idea that fights against an opposite idea and then resolves it. And these same 
culturally left-leaning people used to support Israel, yeah, which is a, a semi-socialist state. It's not fully socialistic and certainly not fully communistic, but they see they used to support Israel, and then uh, in recent years they switched and now support the Palestinians totally. And in either case, their prism, their, their, their way of looking at the world is through this idea that there are groups, one is right, one is wrong, and I'm choosing this group that I think is right because of now uh, race theory uh, has a big thing to do with it, and also Israel, the, the Israelis used to be the David uh, against an Arab Goliath. Now it's Israel is the Goliath versus an uh, Arab David. That, that's how they see the world. On the other hand, we also have to pay close attention to a number of Christians. I've seen commercials on air that this is a sign of the end times, get ready for the rapture, this is what's going to happen, and it's all coming to a, a, a head. And so the, they also see this prism of biblical prophecy, and they assume that they are at the time when that's being fulfilled, therefore they filter out information that doesn't fit their prophetic uh, biblical prophecy model, and they only highlight what does fit it. And neither one of those approaches, uh, or other approaches that, you know, filter out information. If information doesn't fit my theory, I ignore it. We, that's not healthy for anybody. And I don't think folks on the religious uh, pro prophetic view or the Marxist view are allowing the data to show up. So uh, classically, you see, um, you know, Representative uh, Tlaib from the state of Michigan, who just would not condemn an absolutely damnable act of killing children, beheading them, baking them in ovens, killing yeah. the families, burning them alive. All, there's nothing about that that can be passed over. But neither can the religious uh, uh, prophetic movement folks ignore. Israel does not treat the Palestinians uh, with full justice in all circumstances. They just don't. And there are, and we have to try to understand this situation. So that's one. And then one other thing. I don't want to omit those who are thoroughly uh, uninformed about past history and who think that the Israelis and the Arabs have been fighting for thousands of years, therefore there's not going to be an end to it. That, that's not the case either. Uh, that, but that's just because of lack of information. So that's, that's one of the things I want to start off with. Now, something I'd like to say about the history of this conflict. 
first of all, you uh, have Jewish people starting to move in significant numbers into the Holy Land in the 1880s. There were attempts in the 1840s, Montefiore, a a Jewish uh, benefactor from Europe, and, and Rothschild family and a few others, came to what was the province of Palestine. Uh, and part of this, uh, the province of Syria in the Ottoman Turkish Empire in the 1840s. The Turks ruled that. They're not Arabs, uh, uh, and they're not Jewish, <laughs> for sure, uh, but they ruled that area, but they, they didn't care about it. Uh, it was a nothing province. It didn't produce much uh, income, so uh, it was a very poor province. And Jewish wealthy people started buying it from the Turks and buying land. In the 1880s, Jewish people had a lot of trouble, pogroms, you know, a, per- a series of persecutions yeah. in Russia that were spurred because an attempted assassination of the Tsar in, uh, was allegedly including one Jewish woman, so Jews were singled out. And a lot of them, many of whom were socialists and Marxists, left Russia and went to the Holy Land and started these communal farms called a kibbutz. Uh, and the kibbutzim were bought, and you know, from the Turks yeah. all over the land. And, and we've been hearing about all those kibbutzes in, in the news. And Father Mitch, we're going to have to hold it there just for a moment. We're up against a break. But listeners, come back because there is so much more to come on this. And I, like you, am so interested to hear what Father Mitch Pacwa says. More to come. Stay with us. What will eternal happiness, beatitude, be like? St. Augustine has a pleasant description. There we shall rest and see, we shall see and love, we shall love and praise, what will be at the end without end. For what other end do we have if not to reach the kingdom which has no end? The Catechism tells us, God put us in the world to know, to love, and to serve Him, and be with Him forever in heaven. The Beatitudes present us with clear moral choices. We are invited to avoid evil, to purify our hearts of evil, and to love God above all earthly things, none of which can bring lasting happiness. Lasting happiness can be found only in God, who is the source of every good and all love. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. 60 on 10 with Monsignor Charles Pope. The Seventh Commandment, you shall not steal. The Seventh Commandment permits theft, that is unjustly taking or keeping another's property against the reasonable will of the owner. It also prohibits deliberate retention of goods lent or of objects lost. It prohibits business fraud, paying unjust wages, forcing up prices, and taking advantage of the ignorance or the hardship of another person. It prohibits the appropriation and use for private purposes of common goods. Also, work poorly done, tax evasion, forgery of checks, invoices, excessive expenses, and waste. 
Under the Seventh Commandment is also tucked our social justice teachings, because if I have two coats, one of them belongs to the poor, and I reasonably ought to give what belongs to them, because God gave all the goods of this world for all the people of this world. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com. Twenty-eight minutes past the hour, Sherry Kennedy Brownrigg in for Teresa Tamio, who is on the La Dolce Fide, the Sweet Life of Faith pilgrimage. And we are talking with Father Mitch Pacwa of EWTN and many other concerns. He's written so much and spoken so much about so many different things. But today talking about how to really think about what's happening in the Holy Land now through the lens of our Catholic faith. And and uh, Father Mitch, you were talking in terms of the history, that we have to get the history right. So I'd love it if you could just pick up where you left off. Sure. So I was saying how a lot of uh, Jewish people, especially socialists, Marxists, started the kibbutz system um, that were communal farms uh, in the, the, the Holy Land. And, and religious Jews also came uh, tending to settle not in the kibbutzim, but in the, the towns. Um, then, in World War One, where the British and, uh, and, and French fought against the Turks and the Germans and the Italians, the British, under the uh, led by a man named Balfour, came up with the Balfour Agreement, saying that uh, the uh, he promised the Jews. In, is in Palestine, if they would help the British fight the Turks, they'd give them a whole, uh, their own land. And they said the same thing to the Palestinian Arabs. Hmm. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia was, that, that movie is, is sort of a background, but it's a different story about Arabia, but still, it, it's all those same characters, General Allenby and such. And so they made that agreement to give the Palestinians and the uh, Jews a land, but it was the same land. And when they defeated the Turks, the British kept Palestine as their protectorate and didn't tell the two sides about the agreements they made. And in 1927, it was discovered, and there was a riot in uh, uh, Hebron, and 400 Jewish people were attacked and murdered. Yes. by Palestinians. That's when this war started. I would look to that as the key event. And strong anti-Jewish um, sentiment was pushed by al-Husseini, who was the Grand Mufti of uh, Jerusalem. He was eventually kicked out by the British. World War II broke out, of course, and Jews and Arabs both fought in the British Army against the Germans. But they also learned modern warfare. At the end of the war, the three groups fought each other. The British trying to keep tabs on everybody, Jews and Arabs fighting each other and the British. The British had enough, and they left. And the United Nations allowed the Jewish people to create a Jewish state, Israel, in 1948. War broke out immediately. All the Arab nations surrounding them attacked, and the Israelis gained even more land than they had been originally given. 
uh, but it was just as a ceasefire. Another war in 56, an even bigger war in 67, where Israel gained land all the way to the Suez Canal and the Golan Heights. Uh, another war in 73, uh, where uh, they, they, they held back, for the most part, but the Egyptians got back part of it. And then they finally made peace and gave back most of all the Sinai, and they kept Gaza. The Israelis kept Gaza. And they tried settling there, and they brought Jewish settlements into it, and they were bringing Jewish settlements into the West Bank. That caused too much tension, so the Jewish people pulled out by force. Their own government forced them out in 2006, I think it was, and uh, uh, early 2000. And then Hamas took over, largely because they were more honest than the PLO. Hmm. The PLO would be stealing a lot of the aid that was given to the Palestinian people and kept it for their own personal use. Now we find out that the Hamas leaders are doing the same thing as they have yeah. among the leaders over $10 billion uh, privately. So, but, but this, this is one of the problems for the Palestinian people. On one hand, the land is being diminished by Israelis. Gaza, they ruled, but the Hamas either stole some of the money for personal use or they bought weapons instead of creating an economy. On the West Bank, the old PLO, the Fatah movement, um, was, used, was also stealing money and creating a little bit more economic development uh, than in Gaza. And there's more to create. But Israelis keep taking more land on the West Bank and putting more settlements and towns all over and taking the land, seizing land from Palestinians. And this is where a lot of the tension goes on. And, you know, Israelis justify taking that land, saying, well, we need it for our protection. But it's not yours. It's still stealing. And so you've got this kind of tension building up between these folks. And meanwhile, the Christian community that used to be 20% of the whole population is now down to 1.2%. You know, they've been sort of pushed out by the other community. And that's part of the tragedy of that for everybody involved is that the Christians were the best educated and they were a moderating influence between the communities. And now they're they're insignificant uh, influence for the most part. So, you know, you've got these tensions that are very real. But the problem is that a group like Hamas was willing to uh, do a, a damage, start a war, you know, by this, you know, horrible act of uh, merciless killing. That is not Islamic, by the way. That is not, con- you know, killing and beheading babies and baking them in ovens, and burning parents tied to their children alive. You know, these horrors are not allowed in the Quran. That is not Islam. This is the rise of hatred being taught within the Hamas community. And And I know with ISIS, there is 
there are a lot of young men fighting who don't know their dads. This is a very interesting thing. Just like we see in our prisons, that the majority of the young men in prison, black, white, and uh, Hispanic, come from unmarried parents and broken families. That was true with ISIS, the terror group in Iraq. And I am going to bet dollars to donuts that that is a factor among Hamas. You don't have the training in virtue that gives a a young man restraint to any of his anger that will easily turn to bitter hatred if he doesn't have an adult male teaching him morals and proper restraint and how Mm -hmm. to protect women and children that men should do. So Father Mitch, we're going to have to hold it there because we're we're at the end of our uh, of our time together. But I think you have presented such a wonderful way for us to look at this. And I do hope that you will. I'm challenging you to write that book. So thank you for being with us today. That's Father Mitch Pacwa. And we've got more on Catholic Connection. Stay tuned. Father Benedict Groeschel. I often go back to my childhood. In church, we love to be reverent, to Christ present in the Eucharist, to Christ on the cross. But I was also impressed by the reverence of my friends in the Salvation Army. They had a little band, and I used to walk past the band on Sunday morning on my way to church. And I was just a child, but I said, you know, they're trying to pray to God. They're showing reverence to God. All this was reverence. Now what do I see? I hear one irreverence after another. And week after week, month after month, the media churns out things that make fun of religion in general and make fun of Christianity in particular and particularly make fun of the Catholic Church. No class. Absolutely no class. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Can our society return to sanity? No, not without widespread spiritual revival. I don't see how it can happen. As Richard Weaver said in the classic, Ideas Have Consequences, nothing can be done until we have decided whether we are primarily interested in truth. And that's a capital T. Not my truth, not your truth, but the truth we share of an objective moral universe. And that's where we have to stand firm and insist with all grace and with all love that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he did teach that the truth is good and will set us free. But there's no freedom until we re-embrace some shared understanding of the truth. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Sherry Kennedy Brownrick here on Catholic Connection in for Teresa Tamio, who is on pilgrimage, the La Dolce Fide, the sweet life of faith pilgrimage. She's there in Italy with her husband, Deacon Dom, and pray for them, pray for all those on that pilgrimage, as always. I've been so looking forward to the next interview that we have. It's with Carrie Gress. 
uh, Dr. Carrie Grass, who is a, a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, a scholar at the Institute for Human Ecology at the Catholic University of America, editor of the online women's magazine Theology of Home, co-author of its book series, and she is the author of many, many books, including the new book that's coming out, The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us, and also a homeschooling mother of five. I love that they include that, Carrie, and you and your family live in Virginia. You can find out more about her at CarrieGress.com. That's C-A-R-R-I-E, Gress, G-R-E-S-S, dot com. And she has written a terrific must-read blog post. It posted November 1st on the National Catholic Register website on how the occult is a very big influence in the feminist movement. And we'll start there. But Carrie, first of all, thank you so much for being on the program this morning. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. As I mentioned, we'll start here first in terms of the occult and its tie into the feminist movement. But what's the premise of this blog post that you wrote? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess the idea really popped into my head when I read that um, Millie Bobby Brown had decided that she was a feminist after she had visited a psychic. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not very often that the two are so obviously connected, feminism and uh, the occult, but, um, you know, it has a, certainly a very long history. And so, you know, it was easy to see her situation, but then there's so many celebrities uh, right now who are just deeply, deeply involved in the occult. And so, uh, you know, I just started digging in <laughs> some of these stories. And, Surprise! Um, yeah. That's really where it yeah, it's just amazing. And when I read that, I it wasn't, I kind of jokingly, jokingly said surprise, because it really isn't a surprise. Mm-hmm. You hear it a lot. Yeah. I think about, for example, yeah. Beyonce in the halftime mm-hmm. Super Bowl show a couple of years ago, yeah. where, yes. you know, it, it was just smacked us in the face. And yeah. all her talk well, about being and fierce and yeah. Hers and um, Madonna did the same thing. I mean, she was very much more open about how hers was really a satanic ritual. So, yeah, no surprises there. Uh, But I I think this is the thing that, um, you know, we need to wake up to is to just recognize the the deeply demonic connection with with feminism. And, you know, I think we've made so many efforts to try to reform it but you know at a certain point you just have to say like is it too is it too far gone and you know when i that was one of the things i did with my book was um it came out in august was just to recognize that there really were the occult was there from the beginning um definitely there is part of the first wave as well well you talk about three elements of feminism so let's let's go to that the occult is one um go a little bit further there and then tell us about the other two um, so, yeah, the occult was one that was very there from the early stages. Um, Percy Shelley is actually the, the first person I found that, that articulated these three points together. And he you know, is this English poet. He's the son-in-law of Mary Wollstonecraft, who is considered the godmother of feminism. And he was very much into the occult himself. He actually tried to rewrite Genesis 3, the, the, the scene where Adam and Eve fall, and make <laughs> Eve a heroine. And um, she becomes, you know, he, he rewrites her as um, being be enlightened by the serpent instead of it being, a, 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 you know, this incredibly tragic break with God. And that these ideas were really passed down. We, we see them with them. Um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and others. But um, so that's the first part. The second part of the occult that he also articulated by Shelley was 
um, this focus on free love and getting rid of monogamy, getting rid of the nuclear family, and really just not having any moral restraint on sexuality. So that's the second piece, which, of course, again, we see in spades today. Oh, yeah. And um, and then the third one is actually an idea that, that Percy Shelley took from his, his mother-in-law, whom he never met, but um, Mary Wollstonecraft was very much involved in the French Revolution and very much, I, I think she's been, I've heard her called the... Um, a female Thomas Paine, who he went on to, to found uh, socialism. So she very much was interested in getting rid of any kind of hierarchy. Uh, the French Revolution, of course, got rid of the French hierarchy, um, but they also wanted to get rid of the church. And, you know, we see that kind of destruction in the history of the French Revolution, as well as even the military. Um, so this idea of hers, I think we can really link it to what we call smashing the patriarchy now, and this idea of kind of collapsing everyone down into these kind of monads that are not, you know, connected to gender and whatnot. So um, those are really the three pieces that I, I traced from the very beginning of the movement. And, um, you know, we see in spades in, in the second, third and fourth wave that we're living with now. Yeah, we are absolutely living it now. And how does, um, how is feminism, you talk about this in the book, which mm-hmm. again is the end of woman, how smashing the patriarchy has destroyed us. How has feminism abolished women through these acts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really the, the big question. And it's, it started with the fundamental question that feminism asked. And, you know, starting with Mary Wollstonecraft, not explicitly, but it, it's, it's there in the text. And you see it over and over again, sort of resurfacing throughout the movement. The question feminism has asked is, how do we make women more like men? Um, it, it, it wasn't a question of how do we help women be better women? How do we help them be better mothers and deal with their fertility? It was really a focus on how do we get rid of their fertility because they saw the lives of men and thought that they were better and easier. And so that really became the goal. And so, you know, moving forward, you can see this happening in all kinds of ways. Margaret Sanger's another one with the introduction of, of birth control and, of course, later the pill and then abortion becoming, you know, the, what what we now see to be the, the kind of the ultimate expression of a woman trying to be like a man. This is why it's it's such an important thing in the country right now, because it's abortion, the feminists have told us, that allows us to compete with men on the same playing field. Um, so again, totally denying our fertility, totally denying our, our motherhood. And so what are you left, left with um, when you have idolized the masculine for so long? And um, this is why we, we can't really define what a woman is you know, at the stage, because we've taken away all of the essential attributes of womanhood. Yeah. I remember being so surprised once by um, the statement from some pro-feminists, because I, you know, I believe that women should receive equal pay, things like that. I mean, those are those are kind of basic right. rights and all that. But mm-hmm. when all the women's marches happened, I think after the election in 2016, you know, there were a lot of pro-life um, women's groups who wanted to march as well. And, you know, there was this huge blowback from that and saying that there was no way that you could separate abortion from women's rights, that it was essential to women's rights. And I remember being so surprised by that because I had never yeah. thought that way. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. Right. What? Right. And, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think you really are hitting on something. I mean, this is that that, that sort of main cord of the movement has has connected um, abortion rights. And, you know, that's the fascinating thing. I mean, obviously, we we want women to be flourishing, and to be healthy and happy and rights and, you know, all these kinds of things. Um, and that this is the real, you know, the fundamental problem with feminism is that it has 
connected the you know the flourishing of women with erasing women and it's also um really destroyed the the culture in so many dramatic ways and so to get to these things for women we we did absolutely didn't have to burn down the whole culture we didn't have to destroy the nuclear family we didn't have to silence men you know all these things that we're seeing we didn't have to we don't have to kill 3000 babies a day in order for women to flourish and in fact the, the exact opposite is what we're seeing is happening women are not happier than they were before feminism started and we see this these kinds of metrics getting worse each year things like depression yeah. and suicide and um, you know substance abuse all of these things are really pointing to some incredibly unhappy women and um, that's the real tragedy is we, we just keep being told that we need more of it and and things will improve and that's absolutely not happening yeah the double lean down and I've always posited that you know when a woman has an abortion she sets herself up for a life of suffering and no matter what the pro-abortion side says and we're talking with Dr. Carrie Gress about feminism the occult and how the the feminist movement has really erased women, ended women. And we're up against a break, and we've got more to come, though, so stay with us. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Ciao, amici. Teresa Tamio here. If you're looking for something inspiring to give to someone this Christmas season, or maybe just a little stocking stuffer for yourself, make sure to check out the Ave Maria Radio online store. Plenty of books are sale to teach, inspire, and renew your connection with God. Speaking of sales, my book, Everything's Coming Up Rosie, is 25% off this month while supplies last. So go ahead over to AveMariaRadio.net and click on the bookstore. Happy shopping. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Welcome back to Catholic Connection, 10 minutes before the top of the hour. One more segment here, and I'm so excited to talk more with Dr. Carrie Gress. And we are talking about the tie between witchcraft and feminism and really the occult, you know, together uh, with feminism and how that has been there since the very beginning and also how feminism has actually essentially erased women. She's got a new book out, came out in August, The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. And 
And Carrie, you know, we were talking about how important it is for us to really see this tie-in. And I expressed during the break that sometimes it's crazy just how people cannot see this, that Mm -hmm. we must tie having the ability to kill our child to us being free. That Mm -hmm. makes no sense. It it doesn't make any sense, and yet that is exactly the narrative that we have been fed for really for 200 years, and it, it, it got much worse uh, with the work of Betty, Betty Friedan and her feminine mystique, where she focused on this idea explicitly, very much inspired by the works of Marx and Engels, and, you know, she called the home a comfortable concentration camp and, and just made women feel like they were missing out and that they were not going to be happy unless they were doing productive work outside the home. Um, so it's it's incredible how much this is tied to communism and, uh, you know, all these ideologies that so many of us reject in our day-to-day lives, but then we don't see it that, you know, what's animating feminism and the way that all, a lot of the ideas that we hold about women. And so that's been the, the real challenge, I think, of my work is to try and help people see just how much we've been manipulated into believing a lot of these ideas that are, are actually go against our human nature and are, you know, so destructive to the, the, the point where we're, you know, killing so many unborn children yeah. and not realizing the, the full ramifications of it on our personal lives and, and yeah, and it's ama- it's amazing to me that you know you you think about gee why wasn't there a movement to really help husbands to understand how to value their wives and you know right. there's a whole society right. to really value the contribution that women bring that's what we really need to be focusing on isn't it yeah yeah no I think it's it, it it's a, an essential idea of how how do we get back to motherhood. And I don't just mean biological motherhood. I think that all women are called to be mothers, whether it's psychologically or spiritually, in the lives of other people. And we we do this very naturally, but it's not something that we think about consciously. Um, and, I, and I think it's reflected in a lot of ways, even with the, the pet craze that we're dealing with now. I think there's the fur babies. More, yes. But yeah, there are more households that have pets than have children. And it, you know, it just shows how much women still desire to mother something. Um, and so that's, I think, really where our work needs to focus on is to help women remember and to realize and see who it is that they are on a, on a natural level instead of yeah. buying into all these distortions that have led us to such an ugly place. Well, we only have a few minutes left, but I want to go back to the blog post that you wrote about the mm-hmm. occult and feminism. And there, there is just one common thing that brings the two of them together. And it's something that's very attractive to young women today. And that's that idea of sisterhood belonging. Can you talk about yeah. what you mentioned in the blog concerning this? Yeah, no, I think there is this this fundamental idea that has especially animated second-wave feminism was this idea of sisterhood and how that was really going to replace the immediate family and this prioritization of female relationships. And, you know, so many of us feel adrift, so many young women in particular feel adrift. They don't know, they don't have kind of their own tribe. And that's in, in a lot of respects what a sisterhood offers, but even more so, you can see this among those who are involved in witchcraft and, and covens or something about that sense of belonging that we don't get from our nuclear families or maybe from our, our um, communities at, at large. And so it's really filling an emotional hole for people. But that's the, 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 the tragedy of it is that it just becomes an incredible trap because of all the other pieces that are involved that go against our human nature and certainly against our understanding of and relationship with God. 
Yeah, you even quote Emma Watson, who says, thank you to the witches in my my coven who were so pivotal in helping me arrive at where and who I am now. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely amazing. Amazing. Yeah, Yeah. and really, really tragic. So, and I I think we see that with all kinds of celebrities thanking women. Um, You know, there's this thanks for the occult, but then there's also the thanks for the abortionists that have, have... ended their pregnancies and, uh, you know, allowed them, so they say, to, to be mm. successful in their careers. And that's the real tragedy that we believe that the child has to die so we can have success in our life. That is the real tragedy. Yeah. That's Dr. Carrie Gress. Carrie, thank you so much for being with us today. This has really been an enlightening conversation. Sure. My pleasure. It's great to be with you. And the website where you can find out more, CarrieGress.com, and get her book, please, The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. You really got to get that. It's very, very eye-opening. This is Sherry Kennedy Brownrigg. Thank you so much for being with me today. I wish you a blessed day and a blessed weekend. Take care. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.